With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Week 12 AFC Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy Wednesday. Happy Thanksgiving. It's a great day to be great. And joining me, as always, in this edition of the podcast, PFF's finest, Kevin Cole. Kevin, we start with catchphrases. You will throw an NFC team out there. Just what's on your mind to start this lovely podcast? Yeah, yeah. I do have something on my mind, so I'm glad you're giving me this this forum. I know, shocking. I have something to say here at the beginning of the podcast. So, um, Perhaps this should have been handled, you know, behind closed doors, but we like we were transparent with the audience here. So, you know, I just wanted to come out immediately and just say that last week you you were on point. OK, you had the notes, you Thank had you. the analysis, you had everything going. I, I don't know if I gave us a chance to really have a great podcast last week. You know, I don't think I was there. You were there, but I don't think I was there. So I'm just putting that out there now that. Um, I could have been better. I should have been better. I need to be better. Accountability is very important in this industry. Um, So I'm just going to lay that out there and we're going to work hopefully together moving forward. But I just want to make sure I am taking the blame for anyone who had any issues with the podcast last week. I'm thankful you're taking the Justin Fields route instead of the Zach Wilson route. I'm pretty sure that's uh, the bit going on right here. But man, Hey, you don't want to lose. Things. You don't want to lose the podcast studio. If you lose the <laughs> podcast studio as a leader and you're not accountable, then, you know, things are just all downhill from there. I know I, I can't just say, oh, it's senior data scientist. You know, oh, I, I can just do whatever I want. No, each week we need to grind. We need to be our best. And it was me. I, I'm taking the blame for anything, any problems that happened last week. <laughs> That's so that is so respectful of you, Kevin. All right, I don't even know what to say back to that. So let's just get going with our <laughs> AFC East and kick things off with our Miami Dolphins first. First place, seven and three, coming back from the bye this week at home against Houston. 13 and a half point favorites. Game total resting on 46 and a half. So, Kevin, you always send out some great charts every week, kind of does a good job of showing the efficiency level that every quarterback is playing at. Y axis, EPA per play, X is PFF offensive grade. Maybe they're switched regardless. Top right is the best. And my God, no one is further in the top or to the right than Tua Tagovailoa. Now, how much of this hot stretch, Kevin? Because let's face it, the opponent does matter. And he has been ripping through checks notes, the Lions, the Bears, and the Browns ever since that four dropped interception debacle against the Steelers. So, Look, the offense is fantastic. We've seen, obviously, enough of that. Even with Teddy and Skyler out there, you can still see Tyreek and Waddle at least give them a floor. Obviously, Tua raises the ceiling for everyone involved. But do you really think this is, again, what the numbers are saying, the number one passing game in the NFL? Or is it really good and we just happen to see them take advantage of what have objectively been some kick matchups here over the last few weeks? I mean, it's always a mix, right? It's always a mix of both. I think it can be a top five type of passing offense and it has exploded on the back of poor defenses some 50 50 balls that have gone their way some run after catch that has gone their way all that sort of stuff and you know it's it's a small sample there's always like two different elements of trying to figure out like how good is Tua in the passing game right well the one element is it's a small sample. It's a random defenses that you're playing. So that's part of it. Another part of it is like how much context builds around the offense working for him, the receivers, everything else. I mean, I'm not worried about it too much. I think if you have Tua on your team, you're very happy with what you've seen so far, despite him missing some weeks. So you're firing him up and it's a thin passing game. It's a narrow passing game and you're just loving it for fantasy purposes, not questioning it too much. You're just not going to get necessarily the high, high end outcomes that you've gotten a few times uh, recently. 
easy game with the pass catchers and for this week in the backfield as well. Jeff Wilson, fire him up everywhere. He's my overall. Yeah, I mean, you got the RB. Texans this week, so we're not really going to figure anything out in that regard uh, until next week. Hey, he took over the backfield, though, even more so before that by 60% snaps, True. 17 carries, five targets. Most are only 28% of the snaps, eight carries and four targets. So fire up Wilson everywhere. The Texans have somehow allowed the week's overall PPR RB1 or RB2 in five of their 10 games this season. Most are decent enough flex. I have him ranked as my RB32. So maybe he can get going. Just realize in our two-game sample so far, it really has started to swing in favor of Jeff Wilson. Second place, Buffalo Bills also sitting at seven and three thanksgiving first game of the slate over in detroit they are favored by nine and a half points game total week high 54 and a half gotta love that so i came up kevin with a entertainment index a couple years ago where i try to take the quarterbacks that in my opinion have really high highs and also really low lows but regardless they're never in the middle and that's pretty fun for watching especially on red zone and basically i take just the big time throw rate added to the turnover worthy play rate and that combined number will tell you who the most entertaining quarterback in the league is the only quarterback with a combined big time throw rate and turnover worthy play rate over 10 percent josh allen Modern day Brett Favre, maybe just the first ever Josh Allen. I don't know. I just appreciate the way Josh Allen plays football, Kevin. Can we just remark on that for a second? Like, yeah, there's some turnover worthy plays out there, but I don't remember a player that forces defenses to guard literally every square inch of the field like Josh Allen, other than, again, maybe someone like Brett Favre back in the day, but he never even had the athleticism as a rusher. So just overall thoughts on this, uh, you know, just super meaningful statistic I've managed to come up with here. Yeah, I mean, again, you're just bringing the good. So I got I to gotta have something to, to play off of there. I mean, I think I agree. There probably is no other quarterback who has been more exciting to watch this year. Now, there may be some consternation slightly about the fact that he had his worst fantasy output of the season last week, uh, 12 points and change. It's the first time I think he's been less than 19 or something points this year. So that's a little bit concerning. If you look at the rushing there, uh, three carries for seven yards. So I don't know what's going on with the elbow, but is that affecting that area of it? That's going to be concerning because it wasn't like they were just completely dominating and blowing out uh, the, 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 the Browns in last week. So that's something to, to, to be taking a look at. And we have a short week this week. Now, Detroit Lions, that's you know, it's get right as it gets <laughs> right here. Um, but I think I'm really going to be paying attention to whether or not he's running because that's something which raises his floor to like QB six. <laughs> his floor is QB six if he's running the ball. Um, and if he's not, then he could have another outcome like he did last week where you fall into maybe even out of being a QB one for the week, which you're hoping not to get many of those from Josh Allen going forward. Eight of 10 games this year. He's been a top five fantasy quarterback. So Kevin is not kidding about that top six floor. He had a week 11, quote unquote, dud in, uh, you know, week eight. I'm sorry, QB 11 finish in week eight. And then last week he did finish as the QB 18 or first time outside the top 12. But look, it is Josh Allen. And guess what? With Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis facing this Lions secondary that we've seen get torched all season long. I mean, this Bills offense, they're implied for 32 points this week. I think we are firing up all these pass game options with confidence. Devin Singletary also, Kevin, it's been surprising to see them go out, get Naeem Hines, talk about how they've wanted this, you know, scat back, and really not much has changed. Naeem Hines, the only thing he's really done is take Duke Johnson's kick return job, which did piss me off, but whatever, that's a story for another day. Singletary, though, in these four games since they traded for Hines, 75, 74, 72, and 73% snap rates. I mean, James Cook came out and looked good and hit with his touches last week, but really, Kevin, nothing much has changed for Singletary. He's still getting this three-down workhorse role. And as much as more weeks than not, we're going to see Josh, you know, get more involved at the goal line. I mean, let's not forget it did take until week 10 for Singletary to find the end zone on the ground for the first time. But again, he's a low-end RB2, and maybe he never gets up into that true top 10 uh, territory, but still feeling pretty good about Singletary down the stretch, which was not a given when they made that trade just a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's definitely true. I mean, Devin Singletary, it's one of those things where – it's kind of like the Bills want to kill him. <laughs> like every season, they draft Zach Moss, they draft James Cook. Now they're bringing in Naeem Hines, and he was really good down the stretch last year too. So it was a little bit surprising that again that they they want to seem to bring guys in to potentially replace him, and he's been the guy. The question with them is just always going to be Josh Allen because he is that turnover worthy play guy. 
he's like, eh, I'm not taking the check down. I'm throwing it down the field. So even if he is running most of the routes, he'll end up getting a couple of catches, maybe at best. It's just not that fruitful of a receiving role, but it's better than you would have expected with the trades and the drafts and everything else that's happened recently. Third place, New England Patriots sitting at six and four, also playing on Thanksgiving, the night game, Patriots at Vikings. I appreciate this, Kevin. I don't want a classic game as the last one on Thanksgiving. I want to be able to comfortably fall asleep in the second quarter and like not lose future sleep over missing out on that game. So good job, NFL schedule makers. Vikings are two and a half point home favorites. Game total resting at 42 and a half. So Mac Jones. You look at the box score last week. I think he was like 21 for 25, over 200 yards. My God, I don't think there was one play in that entire game where he tried to actively push the ball into a tight window or downfield, which is fine. Style points don't matter in real life and fantasy alike. But still, I'm not going to say right now, while it was a good performance, I mean, they scored three offensive points. And for the season, it's still been an awfully disappointing effort from Mac Jones. You mentioned, I think, last time we talked, Kevin, that you had looked at quarterbacks who really had that fall off from year one to year two and, you know, kind of the bucket of comps that Mac Jones was finding himself in. And I just wanted to look at that 2021 quarterback class and see who has been improving as a passer this year and who hasn't. And the only quarterback in terms of the six categories I usually look at, PFF pass grade, passer rating, yards per attempt, adjusted completion rate, big time throws and turnover worthy plays. Trevor Lawrence is the only second year quarterback that's improved in every single passing category. Mac Jones is the only second-year quarterback that has declined in every single passing category. Now, Mac Jones, rookie year, Mac Jones has been the best single season of any of these quarterbacks, even including Trevor Lawrence this season. But, man, this really is the tale of two quarterbacks for Mac Jones. No, he wasn't necessarily a world beater as a rookie, but a really good quarterback by pretty much any metric you want to pull up. And this year, he's been Zach Wilson level bad without, you know, the Zach Wilson kind of low light highlight tape that you can put together. And by you, I mean me. So with that in mind, Kevin, like Mac Jones, after the bye, again, he chilled out a little bit. He was coming back from the injury. He's never had the most weapons out there, but how much of what we're seeing in 2022 do you think is the real Mac Jones? And what do you think his chances are of maybe getting back to the guy we saw in 2021 here down the stretch? I mean, I think there's some chance of him getting back to it, but every week that goes by, we get a little bit less confident. What's interesting is earlier this season, he was playing more aggressively, turning the ball over, throwing the ball down the field sometimes, putting it up for grabs, and it was getting some tip ball interceptions, things like that. Maybe the Maybe there's a directive from on high to just turtle and and play this sort of style. Maybe the zappy the zappy uh, mania zappy mania is causing him to feel a little bit of that pressure and then uh, play the way he does. What's interesting about his stats last week? You mentioned high completion percentage, averaged nine point one yards per attempt, but. Six sacks that he took. So just what was the ADOT, like of, four? Yeah, it's ADOT, 4.6 yards. And yeah, the air through the air, only 30% of the yards that were generated through the air and 70% was generated on Yak in that game. So it was not, it was the most conservative game possible. You still think you would have been able to get more than three points though out of that sort of game. There were just too many drive killing sacks. And sacks are another sign of conservatism. Um, if we're not talking about a scrambling quarterback who's getting sacked while he's trying to get out of the pocket, it's I'm just going to take this sack rather than potentially throw an interception. Um and it killed the offense last week. If that's going to, they're going to play going forward, I guess it's okay because the defense is coming to play every week. They really have been really spot on offense. Can only at this point trust two guys, Jacoby Myers, who is the wide receiver 20 in PPR points per game this season, tied with Michael Pittman. He's my wide receiver 26 on the week and still Ramondre Stevenson. The amount of people that still give me these like start sick questions with Ramondre versus like low end RB twos surprises me. Expected PPR points per game this season. There are eight running backs averaging at least 17. Eckler, Mixon, Barkley, CMC, Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, Alvin Kamara, and and Ramondre Stevenson. I mean, we're talking about here one of only seven running backs averaging at least seven and a half PPR points per game from purely receiving production. So even in a game like last week where Damon Harris is staying involved, we're still seeing Stevenson nearly double his carries. And again, we don't even mind if Damian gets more involved on the ground as long as Ramondre keeps that sweet, sweet pass down work. Yeah. Now, yeah. Kind of- I mean, yeah my only concern, though, is that I thought Harris looked good running the ball, right? He did. He was, he was he did. much, much better than... Um, 
then Ramondre. So, you know, it's Patriots, it's running backs. You know, you never know what can happen, but I agree. We're very happy about the heavily skewed routes run towards Ramondre. And that's really the flashing warning sign we're going to see. But don't, I wouldn't be surprised if it was closer to a 50-50 mix as far as the carries that they're that they're picking up this week, which also means that Harris is probably going to get a few more routes as they mix in if he's playing there a little bit more in the backfield. So definitely something to monitor coming off of last week. This will be a good sign as to like how much of a lock he really has on that backfield where you have a game where Harris looks to outplay him, at least running the ball. Do they make any adjustments next week, uh, this, this coming week, based upon it? Last play, six and four New York Jets this week. They are facing the Bears at home. Jets are favored by four and a half game total at a lowly 39 and a half. So I liked your tweet after, uh, you know, the whole just the whole Zach Wilson experience uh, this weekend, Kevin. You basically said the real story yesterday was that Zach Wilson was awful. This week's main story, Zach Wilson didn't sufficiently take the blame. The real story the rest of the season, Zach Wilson probably will continue to be bad no matter what he says, which very well put. So it was one of those things where I kept expecting like the quote to kind of have been taken out of context, but it didn't really seem that way. That said, the dude's just frustrated. I don't know. Like it's, I, I would hate that every time I write a bad article, or have a bad podcast, I then have to go talk to the entire world about what went wrong, you know, in the immediate accountability member. Like, we're accountable though. We're accountable. We, here. we yeah, are we accountable. Go. That's true. And, and you know, you've, uh, you've been stressing that all episode, but again, just overall thoughts on the Zach Wilson situation. Cause right now as things stand, I do want to keep in mind that before the bye, he was coming off his best game of the season pretty much against the Buffalo Bills. Now, that was still game manager type mode. We haven't seen big highs all year, but the offensive line was supposed to be really good, and they've suffered a ton of injuries. I mean, he has the largest drop-off easily in the league in terms of yards per attempt under pressure versus when kept clean. That said... It just it's so damning, Kevin, when we see Joe Flacco and even Mike White last year come in and have more success in this offense. So what what are we doing here in New York? Because I still maintain that this is not a team with serious aspirations of contention. That said, they're six and four. So how do you think they should balance trying to win this year? And also, probably more importantly, finding out if Zach Wilson is their long term answer under center or not. Or maybe they already have found that out. Yeah, I, I think they pretty much found that out. It was weird. I was thinking about this franchise, and I know you want to hang tough and you want to give all the chances you can for quarterbacks, but like, who could we even point to as a Jets quarterback since like Joe Namath? <laughs> since Broadway Joe, like a couple of years of Chad Pennington, some Vinny Testaverde, Sanchez like, resurges. Yeah, Sanchez is another guy, you know, you're holding on too long after a while for some of these guys. So I do think at this point, and especially when we look at the timeline of um, Joe Douglas and Robert Sala, right? Ro- Sala in his second season here, uh, this has been the third draft for, for Joe Douglas. This has to happen, okay? They have to go forward now. They have to, you mentioned they're six and four. It's not like they're going to tank out the rest of the season and get it. Whatever quarterback option they're going to come, they're going to come forward for next season. And they're probably going to need that option. It's not like they're going to, you know, harm their draft position or something. If they tank out the rest of the season, they're done. Like these guys are all fired. So you have to try and make the playoffs. We still have them about having a 50% chance to make the playoffs. And you can always go back to Zach Wilson. If it goes horribly wrong, I guess with Mike white, who I believe had been elevated to second place in the, uh, in, in the pecking order above Joe Flacco. So I think you have to make that move. You have to try while you can right now to make the playoffs, because who knows how good this defense will be next year or going forward. And you have that at least right now. And you got receivers right you got players on here who can maybe elevate a quarterback who gives you a chance to do something mike white also the noted creator of the fantastic hbo series white lotus i do think the one kind of interesting thing that could be going on with either white or joe flacco it's honestly what we see with these quarterbacks white and flacco they're going to be your check down dink and dunkers that are going to lead to a lot more ppr friendly opportunities for the entire passing game specifically the running backs i mean over these past two seasons 51 quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks. White and Flacco are the only two quarterbacks in that sample with a checkdown rate of at least 10%. Zach Wilson's at 5.3%. He's the 13th, you know, most checkdown adverse quarterback in the sample. So hopefully this backfield clears up at some point because right now Ty freaking Johnson is playing.
playing ahead of James Robinson. But I'm cautiously optimistic that Michael Carter in particular could have some better days down the stretch if they make that quarterback change. And I also think the big winner could be Tyler Conklin. I talked about this a little bit on the waiver pod, but if you look at weeks 15 to 17, the fantasy playoffs, easiest tight end schedule goes to Tyler Conklin. So we've seen him boom a few times this year. I get it. If you're in the fantasy playoffs, hopefully you already have a Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews out there. But as we've seen, you know, with one tight end after another getting injured, if you are needy down the stretch, Tyler Conklin could be your guy, pal. First place Ravens in the AFC North sitting at seven and three. They've won four straight games, Kevin, but my goodness, this passing game has been brutal ever since week three. Now I'm not going to pin everything on Lamar Jackson. This was already a unit that we didn't really think had a bunch of awesome pass catchers outside of Andrews and Bateman. So you take away Rashad Bateman pretty much starting in week four. And what are you going to expect? So at the same time, man, NFL defenses have been making life tough on them. But at the end of the day, 24, 38, 37 points in the first three games. They're averaging just 21 points in weeks four through 11. So the schedule hasn't been the easiest during the stretch, but do you see Lamar getting back to that, you know, MVP level that we were actually seeing in the first three games? Because I just don't know rationally what's really going to change about this passing offense other than the schedule potentially getting a little bit softer. Yeah, I think the schedule getting softer is going to matter. I mean, Andrews is back, you know, continuing to have that to lean on is going to matter. You're going to hope to, you know, pop some big runs and get some of that running game contribution that raises the ceiling and floor for Lamar Jackson more than pretty much anyone other than Justin Fields right now. Um, But the schedule, I don't know, man. Like Jacksonville, sneaky, okay. Denver Broncos are maybe a top two, top three defense in the NFL. The Steelers are the Steelers. You know, they're okay, but they, they can always pose some problems. Browns stink. Uh, Falcons stink. And then back to the Steelers again in week 17. So I don't know if the schedule is even that easy for them going forward. I think it went a little bit under the radar, like how bad that game was <laughs> against this Baker Mayfield, uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, 3-3 uh, going the fourth. Yeah, like it's like that's low. Imagine if they lost that game, okay? And that was not <laughs> out of the question, them losing that game. So it's bad. Like it's low key bad there, especially when you talk about them being leading the division. I mean, I don't know. I think the Bengals are just a much better team at this point. Uh, well, better team. I'm, let's not go much better team, but I think they're a better team at this point. So I don't know. The Ravens got to show me something in these next couple of weeks before I'm going to say they're back on track in any way. Lamar Jackson has not finished better than the QB 10 in Fantasyland ever since week three. So look, the floor is still up there. And as to, to Kevin's point, it's not the easiest schedule down the stretch. That said, should be able to hopefully boom in some of those matchups. But yeah, it just ex- hasn't, again, just been this dynamic team that, or the dynamic offense, I should say, that a lot of us were expecting. And in the run game, I'm not necessarily expecting this to blow up either. We'll see if Gus Edwards can come back. But the problem is Kenyon Drake and Justice Hill were split in time last week. Mike Davis is still out there for a snap or two. And when you bring Gus back in the equation, maybe J.K. Dobbins, I don't see this backfield condensing down to one or two running backs. And that's what we would need here because Ravens running backs as a whole this season, just 28th in total carries, dead last in targets. So it's been an offense that I don't think has had enough success running the ball to really warrant being, you know, one of the most run heavy offenses in the NFL, like someone where the Bears are, where we can still live with the running backs because of how much they run overall. Yeah, yeah, they don't they don't really catch the ball that much. Never I'm just looking it's... here. I didn't watch this game. <laughs> Five catches for 15 yards. What the hell happened? How did that yeah. the two running backs in this game? <laughs> Uh, it, it, not, not good. But moving on to the six and four Cincinnati Bengals sitting there in second place this week. They're trying to, you know, keep on keeping on against one of their AFC rivals, Tennessee Titans in Nashville. Since he one and a half point road favorites game total resting at 42 and a half. So Joe Burrow last 12 regular season starts. He has five overall QB one finishes, obviously had that great stretch down the end of last year. I'm cheating a little bit because he wasn't that, you know, productive in the playoffs or anything, but still pretty impressive and now on the season he is the overall QB5 he has passed Lamar Jackson so just looking at what he's been able to do without Jamar Chase I mean over these last eight quarters the offense has scored 10 touchdowns Joe Mixon has five of those Samashe Pirine has three Trenton Irwin has one and then Joe Burrow rushed in for the final one so just the fact that they've been able to be 
this productive, this high scoring, even without Jamar Chase and honestly T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd not putting forward the highest scoring efforts. I saw Higgins go completely loco last week without finding the end zone. So obviously still playing a big part. But man, this offense, again, even without Chase, you can argue has looked more consistent and better than they have all season long. Kevin, how much of that do you think is an actual, you know, Good, good job by Zach Taylor here because we have seen them really start embracing this offense where rarely, if ever, do we see them go under center. Okay, under no circumstances ever can we give credit to Zach Taylor. That's <laughs> the first rule of football Twitter. We have to know that. I mean, it's weird, one of those weird things where maybe we're grading on a curve a little bit here because we say, hey – the Bengals are doing the, like the super obvious thing that everyone on the planet thinks they should do. Congratulations. So they're doing that. It's it's really amazing that they don't lean they never they always go through this flirting with not leaning into the pass enough in some of these games because I don't know does anyone other than maybe like a Josh Allen actually have a higher ceiling at quarterback sometimes than what we see for Joe Burrow and what he's able to produce around him. Yeah, you're right. The, the touchdowns were all concentrated to Samaj P. right last week. So congratulations, desperation uh, running back starters who started him in their leagues last year. But he can really spread a lot of wealth to receivers when he hits that high-end outcome. And hopefully no one got scared off with that Cleveland game where the offense looked completely inept because it just came roaring back the last two weeks. Keep an eye on Samaj Piran. Joe Mixon is in the concussion protocol. And if he's going to be missing it, Samaj Piran is going to warrant top 20 treatment. Again, not the most talented running back in the league by any stretch of the imagination, but he's also not necessarily some guy that we should expect to not make, you know, the most out of his opportunities. How many, you know, double negatives kind of throw in the one sentence there? Apologies. But with Piran, again, I think he still owns the all-time NCAA single game rushing record. Him and Melvin Gordon both broke a LT's record within a matter of like a week. What a wild time that was in college football land, but it should be the Pirine show, even if Chris Evans is back in action. I understand he was out last week, but really, guys, as much as we love what Chris Evans can do when he's flanked out wide, I've made the damn highlight reels myself. I know the guy's talented, but they honestly view him and Travion Williams pretty close. Pirine has always been more so considered, honestly, not quite a 1B to Joe Mixon, but week 18 last season, Mixon and Pirine rested and just hasn't been close between Pirine and Evans, you know, in the small samples we do have without mixing third place Cleveland Browns sitting there at three and seven this week they're home against the Buccaneers Tampa Bay favored by three and a half game total at 43 look Kevin we gave Jacoby a lot of credit after the first three or four weeks and then he started to kind of die off a little bit but he's continued to play really well man this is still the 10th ranked scoring offense Last week, he went for 324 and three touchdowns. That was with multiple drop touchdowns out there and just one really good throw after another. I know he got a couple scores in garbage time, but those were not, you know, prevent, dink and dunk our way down the field. That was DPJ and Cooper making some great catches on even better throws down the field throughout that fourth quarter. So I'm just shocked that the Browns, this roster that a lot of people consider to be Super Bowl viable once you add Deshaun Watson to the equation, they just can't get out of their own way on defense, man. Jacoby Brissett has not been the problem. If you would have gone to Cleveland, Browns fans, betters, and you like told them before the season, like, hey, these are Jacoby's numbers after the first 11 weeks, I for sure would have taken the over on three wins. I mean, I probably would have been taking them to win the AFC North if I knew this was the level of quarterback play they were going to have before Deshaun Watson even returned. But unfortunately, the defense just hasn't been able to hold things together. So now sitting at just three and seven, are we eliminating the Browns, Kevin, or do you think this is still a team that maybe they can get hot at the right time? Because, again, we've seen the ceiling on offense with Jacoby. You can only imagine it's going to be higher once the shot is back here in a few weeks. I mean, I think it's going to be nearly impossible for them to make the playoffs at this point because they have – the Bucks this week for the last week here before they turn it over to Sean Watson. Texans, Bengals, Ravens, Saints, Commanders, Steelers. I mean, not the easiest. They pretty much have to win out at this point to make the playoffs, but they can have some good fantasy performances. And I think we really got to like dedicate some time. We got to get giving flowers is the thing nowadays. So I guess we got to give, we got to give some flowers, whatever the hell that means to Amari Cooper, yeah. right? Like, Jacoby Brissett, like this is called just betting on talent, betting on the lack of wide receiver competition right here. The only receivers who have scored more points, more fantasy points, PPR fantasy points than Amari Cooper this season are A.J. Brown, Jalen Waddell, Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams. That's it. 
Sheesh. No one else. That's, uh, Cooper is next on that list. So what a solid pick for anyone who ended up scooping him up and just saying, we're going to bet on talent here. And you may have even higher upside to come with Deshaun Watson coming back after this week. Legit top 12 upside potential down the stretch. Hell, if you want to call him a top 12 wide receiver for this matchup, I am fine with that. As Kevin said last week, we do not believe in his home away splits, but neutral field Amari Cooper, man, that's a true yeah. uh, cheat yeah, code. Exactly. Right that's kind of a way. Can we, we, come on, let's let's call that a way. Let's call that a way for, for the sake of the killing the split did stuff. Yeah. Final uh, note here. Donovan Peoples-Jones, man, last uh, seven games now. P. Perrow, wide receiver, 29, 47, 34, 25, 33, 23, and 14. Finally found the end zone last week. So, again, not a consistent top 12, top 20 guy by any stretch, but still someone that has a rock-solid flex option. And once Deshaun Watson gets back, could see a lot more upside out of this passing game. David Njoku, if you happen to have multiple tight ends, you know, and close start-sit questions between multiple top 12 guys i'd probably take the other one because we did only see him run a route on 42 percent jacoby's dropbacks last week but that certainly seems to be a situation where he was questionable going to the game and they were just easing him back into action so you know having an extra game to go out there he looked healthy i mean he was hurtling dudes i mean looked as athletic as ever and harrison bryant dropped a touchdown and Farrell freaking brown dropped a touchdown so i would expect david njoku's usage to be right back to what it was before his injury sooner rather than later i'm tentatively drinking the kool-aid have him as my tight end eight this week final squad to talk about in the afc north kevin Steelers sitting there at three and seven this week at the colts on monday night football indy favored by two and a half game total resting out of lowly 39 so first of all is, is there any chance george pickens gets suspended that was a pretty dirty hit at the end on tyler boyd and i just they have set a precedent i mean i'm not saying this was as bad as gronk you know back in the day hitting the bills corner or as you know bad as obj spearing josh norman out of nowhere but those helmet to helmet hits have gotten one game suspensions before what's the verdict on this because i know they announced the fines for the previous week's games on saturday i feel like if he was going to be suspended we'd already know by now yeah, I think we'd already know by now. I don't think so. I mean, it got blown up somewhat from the fact that, like, the Steelers, the Steelers and Bagels, like, hate each other so much. The fan bases hate each other so much that that was just getting shared like crazy among. He got Bengals ejected. Fans. I mean, he got yeah, ejected. no, he got ejected. I'm not saying it wasn't bad. It was bad. It was unnecessary. It was a bonehead play. Pickens, low key, probably like a bonehead. Um, talented, super talented bonehead. So it was a cheap shot, all that sort of stuff. Um, but let me, Tyler Boyd, he was okay though, right? Yeah. Like, is he, yeah. So if he got a concussion or something, then I think that sure. would be more of an issue. Other than that, I, I think it's going to, I think it's, I, I don't think there's going to be any penalties there. But the story here, I think, is now with Jalen Warren out, I believe this week for sure. Um, is Najee Harris going to do something? Is like, is he going to get? To, well, I guess he did something last week. So is he going to continue to do do something? Because if you've had him and you've just been like, oh my god, I can't believe I spent a second round, first round pick on this guy all season long, and by some miracle your team is still alive at this point, you could have something for these for the next few weeks. He was the RB3 last week. That was his first finish, you know, inside the top 15 since week three. So it has been quite some time. But yeah, I think so, man. Like the thing about Jalen Warren, it's not like he's taken over the backfield by any stretch. But in Najee's case, when you're as inefficient as he has been this year, I mean, it was enough workload to really reduce him to more of a RB3 more weeks than not. So I am going to have Najee as a recommended start, assuming Warren is going to be out of the picture. I mean, last week, 93% 93% snaps, 20 carries, and six targets. And that was with Benny Snell being active. They just said, keep on chilling, Benny. I know Jalen's out. Not a problem there. So, again, last season, only Derrick Henry had more expected PPR points per game than Najee Harris. Obviously, Najee wasn't the number two running back in the league in real fantasy points. But when you had the number two workload, you know, you fall off a bit. You can still fall into the top 10, top 12. This year, he only ranks 14th in those expected PPR points. But, again, it makes sense if those go on the up and up. So, Look, I think now, 
Najee and Fryermuth, probably the two best options in this offense. Maybe one day Deontay Johnson can score another touchdown. Any hope for bounce back in this, you know, wide receiver room? Because, hey, Pickens had a nice game, dropped that 49-yard touchdown there at the end. I do think this week with Xavier uh, Howard projected to match up against Deontay, did a really good job against Amari Cooper before uh, the Dolphins buy. I am, or I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong matchup. Stefan Gilmore should be on Deontay Johnson, even tougher matchup. So this proves my point even better. I do think Pickens straight up, I would take him over Deontay this week. Yeah, no, I agree. I think he's the only one who like gives you an access to a ceiling outcome. Um, and that's what you're going to hope for in this sort of passing attack where you, there's nothing reliable. There's nothing like at a yards per target basis, or if you want to flip it around to the quarterback, uh, a yards per attempt basis, you're just very unlikely to have it. So you need to have some big plays, some con- contested catch sort of big plays down the field. And that's what Pickens is going to, is going to give you uh, and, and no one cares about your fantasy team uh, news. I do have Najee Harris, on my Scott Fishbowl team, which I'm Ooh. in first place. <laughs> I'm in first place in my division, top 100 team overall. So props to me on that one. Jamal Williams has been has been coming up huge for me in, in that format. So props to me. I just, you know, just want to throw that out there. Yeah, my uh, Trey Lance, Kyler Murray, Scott Fishbowl team <laughs> doing super good this year. Before I move on to the uh, AFC South, want to pay a few bills, give a shout out to a couple sponsors. The PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, plan to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash pff also even though best ball mania has ended underdog fantasy is still the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season with their pick them game just look for your favorite or least favorite player stats pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night underdog keeps it super simple with their easy to use website and mobile apps pick between two and five players for your pick them entry get all your picks right and you'll take home some cold hard cash it's simple to get started just head on over to underdogfantasy.com or download the app Sign up with promo code PFF and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. And a special shout out to Underdog Fantasy. I saw someone tweet out a picture of these awesome tennis balls that had Underdog Fantasy on them. And PFF Lily, my lovely 30-pound wiener dog, we are working on the weight loss, Kevin. I'm buying her the expensive doggy diet food. Like, we are doing it. A lot of walks, but she... Just, she's not a toy dog. She's a tennis ball dog through and through. I got the Bark Box deal, and we have a giant crate of toys sitting there that she never touches. It's just one tennis ball after another. Reached out on Twitter, and I said, hey, Underdog, I want these, and I have been assured that they are already being mailed to me. So Underdog Fantasy, the best place to go play best ball and especially love their pick'em game as well. Just get legalized in Ohio, guy. I cannot, I, guys, I cannot wait, but oh, my, Kevin. Big news. Big, big news. This is actually legit breaking news. I mean, everyone's going to have heard about this by the time that they listen to this, is that the players have been informed that Zach Wilson will not start against the Bears. So they are benching Zach Wilson. It's official. This is not Adam Sheff-Darn. This is Adam Schefter, who actually tweeted this one out. Um, Doesn't say who's going to start, though. It just says that the players have been informed that Zach Wilson's not going to start. So I don't know. Was it like Mike White second on the pecking order? I don't I I don't pay attention to these things, but I thought at some point that was the case. But who knows? Who knows who will start? That is interesting. Yeah, because Flacco, I mean, early on, I know it wasn't completely full of roses, but going out there, I mean, they had that come from behind win against the Browns. He was at least putting up, you know, some level of counting numbers with Mike White. I just feel like it was, it's he's like the classic example of if you didn't watch the guy play last year, you think he was a lot better than he was. I read those check down numbers like you're not going to get I maintain the ceilings higher with Wilson, but obviously the floor is freaking way lower than those other guys. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I'd probably take Flacco over White at this point, but who knows? We'll see. Yeah, I didn't and, watch a lot of White, but White had the island game thing, right? Didn't he play during yeah. an island game and played pretty well? So that like that's like half of your reputation. You could play <laughs> seven games if you have one good island game. And props to, we'll talk about him in the NFC pod. Jimmy Garoppolo came through in an island game for, for me and other yeah. truthers. As long as you do that, then you're like set for the next five weeks, no matter whether you just do absolutely nothing. He had a nice comeback against the Bengals. Look, he's only he's only played two or three games. Maybe Mike White is going to be the next Tom Brady. Who 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 knows, Kevin? Why Anything not? If, if Bailey Zappi can do it, you know the, the Jets need that sort of luck. I think. <laughs> 
first place, seven and three Tennessee Titans again home this week against the Bengals, who are favored by one and a half. Game total just at 42 and a half. I feel like it's the same conversation as we had last week. Ryan Tannehill brings a new level of upside to this passing game. You can pick pretty much any efficiency stat that you want to since he's been in Tennessee, and it's going to tell you he's a top 10 quarterback. No, he doesn't have the volume of those other guys, so I'm not saying you need to rank him that high, but just perpetually underrated, and it was good to see in an island game as we got last Thursday night for him to put some of that on display. Now, the big winner here was rookie wide receiver Traylon Burks starting to get those, you know, A.J. Brown comps going heavy again. And Kevin, he looks good out there. Now, I don't think it was, you know, the complete can't, you know, can't bench him the rest of the way sort of performance out there. And, you know, we had a similar reaction after Christian Watson's three touchdown game. That said, now back to back weeks, Nick Westbrook, Akini, and Traylon Burks, the passing game finally has some upside. And this was not the case, man, throughout the first part of the year. I mean, there was an alarming stretch here between, let's see, what was it here? Between weeks four and nine, this team did not even have 140 passing yards in a game. So just the fact they've had 244 and 320 over the past two weeks. Traylon Burks, solid wide receiver three, potentially moving forward with a little bit more upside. I will caution, though, still an offense that's going to be going through Derrick Henry more weeks than not. The second most run heavy offense in the NFL. But do you think that this group where, again, just they look so one dimensional throughout the season, real life wise, could this Tennessee team arguably have a better ceiling than they did last year? Mm, No, I don't know about that, but I think. I think Traylon Burks is pretty good. I mean, the thing is, as you mentioned, they got 337 yards and 24 completions to spread around. That's not going to happen every single week. But still, it was good to see him put up the numbers. Now, it was heavily influenced by a 50-yard catch to end the game where he, you know, he he beat Jair Alexander. He gave him the two small taunt which i just i I mean that should be legal that should always be legal to do to do that one and the only thing i'll say about burks is 100 bonehead right he definitely is that sort of guy so he can disappear probably runs like two or three wrong routes every single game but on that type of play at least he looks like he belongs right if you were going to say this guy's a big-bodied receiver who can get open just based upon strength and athleticism and size. Like he looks like he can do that where sometimes that doesn't translate for guys. So I'm excited about him and I'm probably more excited about him than someone like, you know, Meshi Christian uh, Watson on the other side. So I think he's a guy you can start going forward, but you're going to definitely have some weeks where they only pass for 175 yards and he has, you know, three catches for 27 yards or something like that. Tough year for Jair Alexander. The Cowboys are almost going out of their way to target him a few weeks ago. He's only shadowed one time, and Terry McLaurin immediately snatched his soul. Just not a great season there. Uh, back he to can Titans. go home. He can go home and lie on his uh, his bed of dollar bills after yeah, <laughs> after getting that true. contract in the offseason. He's like he's like, oh, that was a horrible game. Then he goes home and just like opens up the hope he didn't have his money in like FTX or something. Opens up the brokerage account. And he's like, okay, I'm still feeling pretty good. All right, let's go. Final notes, Derrick Henry, once again, leading the NFL in rushing yards per game. This would be the fourth straight season he's pulled that off. Obviously, has a little bit of revenge on his mind after his Bengals D held him to 62 yards on 20 rush attempts last year in the AFC divisional round. Moving on to our second place, somehow second place, Indianapolis Colts. Four, six, and one again facing off against the Steelers at home on Monday Night Football, where they are favored by two and a half points. Look. I understand running backs can't play 100% of the snaps out there, and I get that you're going to have situations where you have a two-minute back and you have a pass down back, and maybe they can just be – they can do that, and it's okay. Jonathan Taylor doesn't have to play every single snap, but I don't know, Kevin. The final drive of the game when you play six snaps and Deion Jackson plays every single one of them over Jonathan Taylor, it's like, what's the point of having Jonathan Taylor on your team if you're not going to put him out there in the game's most important moments? And if they're not the only team to do this, there were times, there was a time last year where Doncho Hero got stuffed on fourth down instead of Derrick Henry for the Titans. Look at the Super Bowl and Samaj P. Ryan playing over Joe Mixon at the end. So this isn't, you know, me just come acting like Jeff Saturday is the only guy to ever uh, have a team doing this. But my God, man, like I don't have a question here, but Deion Jackson played all six snaps over Taylor on the final drive. What are we doing here, man? It's Jonathan Taylor. Just get him on the field. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. It's it's disappointing. At the same time, with Deion Jackson back, I think it's still good to see basically 80% of the rushing attempts going to Taylor and 
you know, 65, 70% of the routes going to him. He's not going to have 85% that he had the week before when Jackson wasn't there, but that's still a pretty good workload. So I get it. That, that one drive you can point to, I think generally you could be pretty happy with his usage. With the wide receivers, it does continue to be extra nice having Matt Ryan back under center. Michael Pittman is back in the wide receiver one conversation, especially against his Steelers defense. Dead last in the NFL and PPR points for game allowed to the position. We've seen Gabe Davis, A.J. Brown, most recently T. Higgins, Jamar Chase. Plenty of big-bodied alphas like Michael Pittman go off against this group. Even Paris Campbell starting to get some love, and he is going to be our official bounce-back sleeper of the week. Love our friends over at Sleeper. I get to continue continuously bring up you know just how sad my pff fantasy team is how good kevin's is and i guess nate's kind of i lost i lost kyle pitts though so oh no talk about this is like a week of catharsis i guess we should we should wait for the the nfc podcast but a week of catharsis for everyone who's able to drop him from their roster i felt so good but I will say Paris Campbell now four games with Matt Ryan last four games. I should say with Matt Ryan under center PPR wide receiver, 10 wide receiver, five wide receiver, 11 and last week's slight fall off to the wide receiver 32. We are not worried though. 11, 12, nine and six targets in those games. And I just think without Naeem Hines in the picture, it does make sense that Campbell is emerging more so as they're underneath threat. So yeah, we did see the dark targets dip a little bit with Deion Jackson back in the you know conversation, but Paris Campbell Confident volume-based wide receiver three in full PPR formats, especially, again, in what is shaping up to be a fantastic matchup for this entire wide receiver room. So, yes, shout out our friends at Sleeper. Best place to go play redraft or dynasty fantasy football. Three and seven third-place Jaguars coming back off the bye this week. They're facing off against the Ravens. Ravens are four-point uh, road favorites. This one's going to be in Jacksonville. Game total of just 43-and-a-half. So I mentioned this with Mac Jones is a bad thing, but for Trevor Lawrence, it's a good thing. Again, PFF passing grade, passer rating, yards per attempt, adjusted completion rate, everything is up compared to the Urban Meyer-induced first season. And I think before the bye, man, in that Chiefs game, we really saw Lawrence make a handful of just top-tier incredible throws that reminded you of why he was the number one overall pick of 2021 and lauded as one of the best prospects we've seen since Andrew Luck. Now, there have been lows throughout the season too, but just the fact we've gotten these highs, Kevin, I mean, I think it's a good four games now where he's worked as a top eight quarterback on the week in PFF passing grade. You should feel pretty good about this team moving forward. They're going to get Calvin Ridley back next year. ETN's running the ball. I know they're only three and seven, but you got to love the early returns of the Doug Peterson-led Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, I think so. I think this is a sneaky team where they don't have the easiest schedule in the second half. I mean, they got the Lions on the schedule. They got the Texans. They got the Titans twice, uh, Ravens, Cowboys, and Jets. So they don't have the easiest schedule the rest of the way. But I would not be surprised if this is a team that could finish at least four and three. Uh, the rest of the way, maybe even five and two. Like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility the way they played in the first half of the year. A lot of bounces, a lot of plays, a lot of one score games, a lot of late drives, a lot of fourth down conversions did not go their way. I think they can going forward. And I mentioned Amari Cooper earlier as a guy that we have to give flowers to. As long as we're in the flower giving business, (laughs) Christian Kirk is right below Amari Cooper. So all those guys that I named being above Amari Cooper as the only guys above Amari Cooper. Well, just add Amari Cooper to that list, and it's the same list for Christian Kirk, who is ahead of C.D. Lamb right now and others uh, so far this season. I mean, it's a step down from, the, from those other guys, but still, you have to be pretty happy if you drafted Christian Kirk. Uh, really solid, solid fantasy receiver this year. Kirk has six games in the side of the position's top 20 just in terms of weekly finishes and only four outside of it. So he really has been awfully uh, consistent. I mean, he started off high and then he started to die off. And before week six, Doug Peterson said, needs to be up there, 9, 10, 11 targets. Since that quote, Kevin, 5, 10, 7, 9, and 12 targets with two rush attempts thrown in there along the way. So Doug Peterson giving the guys that we want him to give the ball. He got James Robinson out of town. He's featuring Travis Etienne. I am a fan of these Jacksonville Jaguars. Continue to fire up both Kirk and Etienne in fantasy lineups of all shapes and sizes. Takes us to our last place, 1-8-1 and one. Houston Texans. They're in Miami. Dolphins are favored by 13 and a half points. I don't like anyone in this passing game. Brandon Cooks has already been largely atrocious throughout the season. I mean, last week he had a deep ball hitting him in the face and then get intercepted. He also dropped, honestly, maybe the best pass Davis Mills has thrown all season down the seam, went right off Cooks' hands. And again, the only reason that game was even decent last week for Cooks is because somehow he got mashed up against John Bostic, the commander's linebacker, and he just 
just outran him for a 40-yard gain on a crosser. So facing a healthier Xavier Howard, who did a really good job against Cooper before the bye, I am fading Cooks. And by virtue of that, also not exactly thrilled about Nico Collins. So once again, it's Damian Pierce, and that's it. Coming off a game which he had negative two rushing yards before contact on 10 carries, one touchdown over the past five weeks. But guess what? I'm sure Lovey Smith's big takeaway from last week was that they need to get Damian Pierce more touches, and I'm sure he will do that. So if you have anything to add about the Texans, uh, go ahead, Kevin. I, I hate this team. No, I mean, not a lot to add. My only thing with Damian Pierce is I think we knew that there was like a low floor potential for him, but he had just been defying it so yeah. far. So we shouldn't, it's not like we should be completely off of uh, Pierce, but we should just recognize that, yeah, this is well within the range of outcomes on this team to have that sort of thing happen. Um, he's never going to be like a guy you can completely count on from a floor perspective. But of course, you're, you're putting him in the lineup if you have him. First place Chiefs leading the AFC West at eight and two. This week they're home against the Rams, 14 and a half point favorites. I believe that is the highest spread in favor of a team facing the former Super Bowl champion in NFL history. Game total resting at 44. So I went ahead and I took Mahomes's, you know, passing numbers. I've already said the kind of group I look at throughout the podcast. Just wanted to see where this version of him ranks compared to past editions. And 2021 was the worst version of Mahomes. We saw that, you know, six, seven game loss during the year where just again those two high defenses were giving Mahomes and to be fair a lot of other great quarterbacks in the league lots of problems out there but just this season PFF passing grade yards per attempt passer rating pick your stat he really is much closer to the guy we saw in 2018 and 2020 even better than the guy in 2019 obviously had to deal with that midseason ankle injury going on that year so it's just incredible, man. MVP front runner loses Tyreek Hill, and we're still leading the number one offense in the league in points per game. The eye test is somehow continuously better than what the statistics tell us. And yeah, just Patrick Mahomes, man. Just King State Kings out here, Kevin. And I guess MVP front runner. And I don't know who's going to beat the Chiefs in the AFC. Yeah, yeah, they that was a big win for them uh, to really take a commanding lead in the division, which it's kind of weird to think about the AFC West, right? That this was supposed to be the power, power, super division. And now it's basically the Chiefs and, and everyone else at this point. My one note on the Chiefs is I think the backfield has kind of played out how we thought it would, but even more so now with CEH being completely out. So it's it's thin, you know, it's narrow, but I'm never going to get that excited about a Chiefs backfield because they just don't throw it enough to the running backs or run it enough on the goal line to count on touchdowns there. In the receiver group, I don't know. I'm a little ambivalent when thinking about someone like Sky Moore because he did have five catches for 63 yards. And I think some people may see that and be attracted to the talent and going forward. I guess I would put some context in here, which I think is really fairly negative, just to say that, you know, no Juju Smith-Schuster, um, no McCole Hartman, which will continue. Uh, nine routes into the game, um, Kadarius Tony gets injured, and still Sky Moore only ran 16 routes, though, where Justin Watson had 37 routes. Noah Gray, you know, they brought in the tight end for two tight end sets. He had 18 routes. So he's still not getting any usage. So I don't know what to expect from him going forward if you might be getting excited about him. I figure Juju comes back, and he's just probably a non entity going forward. That's my thought. Other than Juju coming back, I'm just, it's going to be tough to rank any of these wide receivers on a week with no buys, you know, inside the position's top 36. So you could do worse than having a dart throw flex that's a Chiefs wide receiver playing with Patrick Mahomes. But yeah, I don't think Sky, Justin Watson, MVS must starts by any stretch of the imagination. The thing with Pacheco, so he's going to be getting seemingly 15 plus carries moving forward if Ronald Jones isn't activated and then kind of takes that little third of the committee away from Claude Edwards Solaire, who is going to miss some time with a high with a high ankle sprain. I wouldn't expect Rojo to be activated, but again, just one of those pieces that we do need to see what happens this week, just to be sure. The only problem with Pacheco, man, like the Chiefs, once they get inside the 10-yard line, like they are not looking just to hand the ball off and get into the end zone that way. Only offense in the league throwing the ball on over 70% of their snaps inside the 10-yard line. So Again, they're 14 and a half point favorites this week. This should be the week where Pacheco can hopefully find the end zone, get 15, maybe even 20 carries out there. I'm just, you know, I don't think that he is someone. He's kind 
got the Damian Pierce role, honestly, in a better offense, maybe not quite as much of a pass game upside because he's only caught three passes all season long. So I guess my only thing with Pacheco, like back-to-back stall performances, he has 18.9 total fantasy points there. When you're not catching passes, you're going to have a low weekly floor, even in this high upside offense. But I guess, again, my point here is that the high upside offense isn't as great for the running backs as we would expect because they get inside the 10-yard line becomes a Travis Kelsey show. So I have Pacheco as my RB23 this week. Do you think that's fair, Kevin, or should I just be a little bit higher on the guy? Because, again, 14.5-point home favorites. Like, if there is ever a week to fire up Pacheco, like, this is absolutely it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, yeah, the last game is probably a good microcosm for why things are so hard for Pacheco. Other than, again, you're just going to have to, you know, hoping that you're going to get him falling into the end zone twice by some miracle they decide to run the ball. Because, yeah, he got his 100 yards. You might say, oh, he had a 100-yard game. Well, this was a relatively uh, run-heavy game and game plan for the Chiefs. You know, it's, it's not a lot. You know, they had 27 carries, let's say, but that's a lot for them. Uh, or 23 carries when you take uh, Patrick Mahomes out of the out of the mix there. So it was a very run-heavy game for them, and he averaged 7.1 yards per carry in order to get 107 yards. So, like, you really got to thread the needle to get to a decent fantasy game without falling in the end zone for Pacheco, and that's probably only going to happen maybe one out of every three, four games. Second place, Los Angeles Chargers coming off that, you know, solid effort on Sunday night against the Chiefs. Just wasn't quite enough this week there in Arizona. Chargers are favored by four and a half game total. Actually had a pretty high for at least, you know, 2022, 47 and a half points. So with Justin Herbert, we saw him finally start to get some weapons back last week. And then Mike Williams quickly re-aggravates his injury. But at least Keenan Allen was out there. We saw Josh Palmer doing his thing. But oh, hey, Gerald Everett was also out of the picture. So up and down getting the guys back in. We saw some flashes though the two bombs to Josh Palmer I guess one bomb to Josh Palmer one to Keenan Allen at the end that was particularly impressive but once again it's one of those games where uh, you know, great follow. You guys all know him, but Benjamin Solik over at the ringer, like he said at one point in the second half, uh, like I don't think Herbert's thrown one pass, like past the sticks the entire second half, immediately launches a bomb to Keenan Allen. It was a funny moment just with the timing and everything. But prior to that, it was a fair point. And you look at it on the season, only four quarterbacks have an average target depth under seven yards. Matt Ryan, sure. Baker Mayfield makes sense. Daniel Jones, fine. Also, Justin Herbert. So we've talked before about how wide receivers kind of control and earn their average target depth. Do you hold that same principle to be true for quarterbacks? Because I'm more willing to say that Herbert isn't throwing downfield because of the scheme and because, like, who is he going to throw downfield to more weeks than not? I mean, Mike Williams and Jalen Guyton were supposed to be those guys. You could already argue they weren't really the best field stretchers. I know they can do it, but not exactly the most, you know, blazing fast guys out there. So is this just Loeda, is this part of who Herbert is? Or again, is he just being used really poorly for a quarterback with one of the strongest arms in the NFL? I mean, I think it's part of who he is. That's one part of it. He had, at least going into this game, the lowest sack rate in the NFL, despite not having great protection. He gets rid of the ball quickly. He took six sacks, though, which is shocking, in this game against the Chiefs. That was kind of really the story of the game, was the Chiefs' defense ability to generate pressure and get sacks. So there's that. There's the scheme thing. Everyone likes to harp on this. Like everyone on fucking Twitter thinks that if like, oh, if I was the offensive coordinator, I'd just say, Justin, throw deep. And then boom, profit, you know, profits come in. Uh, I think the most important thing is they don't have the horses to get open down the field. Even that long pass to Keaton Allen. I mean, that was like a borderline turnover worthy play because the, the, the defender was ahead of Keaton Allen. Keaton Allen did some sort of like slingshot move to get a, to, I don't know. <laughs> probably wasn't even legal to like, to, to like slingshotted past him in order to go and get the ball on the last play of the game where they have to stretch a bit here, right. To get into field goal position. I mean, it was a bad throw, a forced throw from Herbert. Like the defender was inside of Keenan Allen's Jersey. Like Keenan Allen. I love Keenan Allen. You cannot get open down the field. Keenan Allen. It was on, to be fair, real quick, it was on like third and 18. So it's like, what the hell? No, I agree. But I'm just saying like he is, he doesn't separate down the field uh, that even the deep pass that they got, he was like, he had negative separation. The, yeah, yeah. the, 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 the defender actually had separation on Keaton Allen when the ball was in the air. And even when he had the long pass to, to, uh, 
to Palmer Palm. on that play. I mean, he was open and it was great to get him down the field, but he's not a separator also. So I think that is the most important thing. I think if you put like Tyreek Hill on this offense or something, it's not like they'd be checking down the ball every single play. No, he'd be stretching the field and throwing it down the field. Uh, Tua's ADOT has jumped by two yards this this year, and he's not getting rid of the ball any slower. He's not holding onto the ball anymore. Um, I think that's more important than anything else. Obviously firing up. Eckler Get him some has, people to throw it to. Like, yeah. what, what the fuck? You not a, not the best real-life offenses. We've seen it with Carolina. When you're being forced to just feed a running back in the passing game, yeah, it's not going to produce uh, that many downfield passes. Shocker. But fire up Eckler, obviously. Keenan Allen back in the top 24 conversation. And Josh Palmer, again, two out of these last three weeks looking awfully good. As long as Mike Williams is going to stay sidelined, he's going to be a rock-solid wide receiver three. At worst, also keep an eye on Gerald Everett getting back from that groin injury. Third place, Las Vegas Raiders sitting there at three and seven. This week, they're in Seattle. Seahawks favored by three and a half points. Game total at 47 and a half. So, man, Devontae Adams out there, like, he put Sertan in a blender on that game-winning play. That said, like, the amount of times this dude's is able to get wide open on these deep crosses, like, there's ever a guy to focus on. But he was a little boomer busty to start the season. You know, he had the huge debut, and it's like, oh, can anybody in this world even cover uh, Devontae Adams? Has a little dud. And then in week eight, he had the game against the Saints where he only had the one catch for three yards. But since then, Kevin, 10 catches, 146 yards, two touchdowns. Nine catches, 126 yards, one touchdown, seven catches 141 yards and two touchdowns i said i think in week eight or nine i was ready to just give tyreek hill best wide receiver in the nfl and i thought even last year tyreek hill was the most impactful wide receiver in terms of who's putting the most fear into opposing defenses i gave Devonte adams the hat tip as the best pure wide receiver last year whatever that means i know they're both awesome and we're grasping at straws to an extent here but do you still consider or have you considered adams to be the 101 wide receiver in the nfl no, I don't think so. Only because he's a little bit touchdown dependent so far of what he's doing. I mean, he has fewer yards than Diggs, Hill, and Jefferson. He has way fewer receptions than those guys, even though he's been targeted more often. It's just he has the 10 touchdowns. And Diggs has eight touchdowns, so he's in the mix there. But then Hill and Jefferson, only four touchdowns apiece, and that's what's really been separating them. Uh, you mentioned that he's been up and down, but I think we have to just we, – we don't want to get into this trap that, like, C- Cooper Cup – 2021 sort of season is something that could be replicated as far as like literally never having a down week the entire time. No matter who we're talking about here, Stefan Diggs is potential to have for him to have a down week. Tyreek Hill is maybe the closest thing to not really having a super down week just because of how heavily that he is targeted in this passing game. But, you know, Justin Jefferson had a few weeks down. AJ Brown, all these guys can have a few weeks down. So Devonta Adams is still in that mix. He's still a solid, solid, solid receiver, but I wouldn't necessarily say he's the best only because, I'm not sure he's going to continue to get those touchdowns going forward, but they do structure their offense around getting him the ball uh, in the red zone. Also, it's not just long touchdowns, but he's got a few of those really, really long touchdowns this year that won't necessarily uh, extrapolate the rest of the season. I got one more bundle of flowers to give out here, and that is going to be a Josh Jacobs, the overall RB4 uh, on the season. Oh, yeah, yeah. He probably gets most of the flowers. He's probably like, yeah, he's getting the crown and the flowers, the tiara and the flowers, I think. <laughs> Only Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, and Christian McCaffrey. More PPR points on the year. The dude's on pace for 2,007 yards from scrimmage. Have come quite a long way from, you know, seemingly being showcased in the Hall of Fame game out there. Credits Josh McDaniels for feeding his best running back the ball all season long. Set up awfully well against the Seahawks defense that ranks just 28th in PPR points per game allowed to the position. Moving on, last one here in the AFC edition of this podcast. We'll have NFC up for you guys shortly after this. But the last place three and seven Broncos in Carolina this week Broncos favored by two and a half points game total at 36 and a half so they would be nine and one if they had just been able to score 19 points in regulation throughout the entire season might have even be 18 points like again as much as I'm shocked that the Browns haven't been able to be better than three and seven with how good Jacoby and the offense has been it's the same exact thing in Denver like the fact is defense has been so good you said it before top two top three unit and I don't even think that's up for debate and if you want to say they're number one you know i'd probably say the cowboys but they are right there and deserve to be in that conversation but my god just this offense 32nd ranked group maybe just maybe kevin we got melvin gordon out of town maybe all the problems are solved now we can just focus on feeding uh latavius murray the football and just profit uh, after that as the kids would say but man just this sucks man and i don't think it's getting better do you no i don't think it's getting better 
And yeah, I wonder what sort of fab is being spent on Latavius Murray this week. It's like has a 90% chance of going up in smoke, whatever. You might as well just roll that fab up and smoke it instead of spending it on uh, Latavius Murray. But it has some chance of doing something. I mean, I'm just I'm just pumped to see this Marlon Mack Latavius Murray backfield. We do have Chase Edmonds out of the picture as well. Now he is back on the IR with an ankle injury. So again, I, I think that's about right. 90, 10, there is a 10% chance. You're yeah, there's, there's a 10% a chance. chance though. So, you know, you never know. There is a chance. But yeah, Latavius Murray, you know, think about it. This guy is going to turn 33 in January. He is a grinder. He's been a grinder his entire career. And he had some good years out there. But like with him, wouldn't you expect like his forte to just be picking up yards after contact? Because he is literally dead last this year in yards after contact per carry among 50 qualified running backs. So just maybe he falls maybe forward. It he tries to fall forward. I'll give him that. He is an early down back in a terrible offense that has not shown the ability to create explosive plays. Other than that, you know, things should be absolutely fine for Latavius. I have him ranked as my RB33 on the week, and that still feels high. I'll be answering most close start sit decisions with him with the other guy. It does seem like Jerry Judy could miss another week with his ankle. He was not able to open up the week with the practice, I believe, I saw from our friends over at Underdog NFL, best news crew in the game. But yeah, look, if Judy's out again, Corlin Sutton can be treated as, you know, a top 30 option. But even then, I'm not exactly thrilled about it. Can't get the guy in the top 20 these days. Greg Dolchitz, out of all people, Kevin, probably the most fantasy relevant guy in this offense. What a time to be alive. I'm disappointed by him, too. I was expecting a a little bit more. But, you know, what can you do? It's like it's 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 bad. Not thrilled about it. That's just the that's that's the Broncos just across the board. Not thrilled about it. Could have just Broncos three and seven, not thrilled. And with that, it's going to wrap up yes. another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Kevin, we'll be right back talking more NFC. But in the meantime, let the folks know what you got over there at PFF.com. And you're always producing the excellent Unexpected Points podcast, where I saw you had a very, uh, a very honest, uh, heartfelt, you know, just statement out there for your uh, loyal listeners. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, unexpected points. If you want to check it out, like the 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 episode that I did on Tuesday, I go into the Zach Wilson thing. I go into some of the like can elevate quarterback thing. So it's it's interesting. I get into some of the larger points of maybe some evaluation and theory. And of course, my my take was that they had to replace Zach Wilson, and it's happened. So that's good to see going forward. At the same point in time, so people were going absolutely nuts about this comment, and like the whole point is he stinks. Okay, that's the point. That's what we need to worry about. Um, so anyway, check that out. Of course, Kevin Cole, PFF on Twitter, got the visualizations, all that stuff coming out too. Great day to be great. As always, you can get my positional breakdowns on PFF.com. Editor crew gave us the 3 p.m. deadline on Wednesday. Very fair. We all got, you know, stuff to do with the holidays and all that. We never wanted to deprive anyone there, but my goodness, Kevin, these uh th- these late nights have been racking up. I am very happy though to be uh you know have all the positional stuff done though, and uh, we'll be moving on. But yeah, my mismatch manifesto will be out Friday uh, a little bit later, but I'll make sure we get those charts out later this afternoon. So appreciate all you guys tuning in. As always, for Kevin, I'm Ian. Thanks again for checking out the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.